welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. So eight years ago, uh, I was blessed to have the opportunity to come back as a pastor at Kingwood United Methodist Church. I got to be here from 2001 to 2006, and then when I came back in 2013, we had adopted an organizational structure around connect, grow, and serve. So when I came back into the picture, um, I was in the position uh, as an associate pastor like Jeremy's in now uh, with oversight of the grow area. I remember pretty pretty early that summer, uh, Richard Whittier and I had a conversation Uh, Richard was the lay leader and is still the lay leader. Um, And I remember him coming and saying, one of the things that we need from the grow area the most is a compelling pathway of discipleship. And so I began to think of those different kinds of pathways of discipleship that I'd I'd seen and heard of. But the question that came out of my mouth is, Richard, why did you choose the word compelling? And I don't remember exactly what his answer was, but it was something probably like, uh, well, we had to put a word there. When I hear a compelling pathway of discipleship, the word that captures my attention is compelling. I mean, if something is compelling... It captivates your your heart, your life, your interest, your imagination. If something's compelling, it's, it's alive, it's enthralling, it draws you to it. I mean, sure, we can develop a pathway of discipleship that feels like a college curriculum. Disciple 101, 201, 301. And maybe it is helpful that if you just bring your kids to an Easter egg hunt, that some moment in there you get invited to an Easter Sunday worship service and maybe from there you you go to Young Moms and maybe from there you join a small group and you end up packing meals for Haiti and you join the prayer team. Or or in the process you you get um, recruited to be on the church softball team and from there you find guys that are, that are in, you go to Sunday school with and then you all go to UM Army together. Don't get me wrong, those pathways have value. But I think the key is still, what is it that makes it exciting? What what is it that makes it captivating? What is it that grabs your heart and brings you in? What is it that turns our heart to wanting to plunge all into something? Now, a big piece of that I recognize is the relationships that we begin to form. It's the people we meet. It's the people we start going deeper together. It's the love and the joy and the tears and the community that we find and we share that, that we build through triumphs and the struggles that we encounter and, and, the, and the people that are trying to raise their kids and people that are figuring out what retirement is and people whose homes flood and people who go through losses and people who are seeking more to life and, and all those things. But, but the even more compelling piece of this even more compelling to the community that we find at KUMC or the community that gets established at a, at a Palantir maximum, maximum security prison unit is the fact that it's, that it's invigorated, that it's robust, that it's alive if the Holy Spirit is in the middle of it. 
And it's not just dependent upon us. You see, I really believe that there are some game changer moments in our life. I believe one of them is that when you and I finally realize and embrace that God loves you so much that he's willing to die for you. Not some sweet little lesson from the Bible, but that you are worth the death of Jesus Christ. And if you grab a hold of that, it changes your life. And you realize that forgiveness is real, even for a man sitting on death row. That grace is available to you. That shame and fear, they're undone. They have no more hold over us. And the freedom that we are offered through that changes everything. And the parts of us that want to hold back, the parts of us that, that want to stay scared and hidden, no longer have a grip on us. It changes everything. And then, when I realize that God loves you as much as he loves me, everything changes too. Because if God loves you as a child of God as much as he loves me, then, then my heart goes out to you. I, I, be, I want your world to be filled with hope and joy and peace. I want the best for you, not just for the best of myself. Yeah, I want you to know the love of God offered to us through Jesus Christ. Yeah, the person who cuts me off in traffic. Yeah, the orphan in Haiti. Yeah, the one who doesn't believe in God or dismissed him or feels like the church has hurt him so much that she's never coming back. I want you to know the love of God through Jesus Christ. And if systems exist out there that are hurting you because you're a female or a person of color or because your parents gave up on themselves and they gave up on you, I want to fight for you. I want to help your life be better. I want to help draw you into the community in this crazy thing called church and to help you to meet the Holy Spirit and to be transformed like for the rest of your life because behind it and beneath it and in front of it and above it and around this, all of this is God's presence with us right here, right now, through his Holy Spirit. Every breath, every heartbeat, every moment, every, every is him. He's not secondary. He's primary. He's not peripheral. He's core. He's not luxury. He's necessity. And no matter how apathetic or dismissive I can be of the presence of the Holy Spirit, he is the energizer, the motivator of all that is good and glorifying. The Spirit is who makes the Christian life, the church, compelling and energizing and captivating and vivid and robust. To make our walk with Christ compelling, God literally placed himself, his very presence, his Holy Spirit, right in the heart of it all. And he did it in an amazing way. In Acts chapter 2, we find this incredible account of what happens on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost came and they're all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of, of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, if you ask most Christians, when did Pentecost start? They're going to go to that story right there. But Pentecost existed a long time in the history of the Jewish people before that account in Acts chapter 2. It was called Shavuot. And, and it's, that word Shavuot is, is a word that means weeks. And, and it's placed the day after Sabbath of Passover and then seven weeks from there. And it's one of the great pilgrimage festivals. So if you can get your tail to Jerusalem, that's what you're supposed to do that day is be in Jerusalem. Now, on the one hand, Shavuot has an agricultural focus. You'll see that in this passage from Leviticus 23. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you bought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour baked with yeast as a wave offering, and don't miss this, of first fruits to the Lord. Now, that's a whole other sermon about first fruits. But if you never looked into what it means to offer first fruits to God, that means you offer your best. The first fruits, not the leftover fruits. When you bring the first fruits of the harvest, that means that you're tr trusting God to bring in the rest of the harvest. That you're willing to let go of what comes at the beginning because you know the God that's going to bring the rest in. It means giving our best to God. Do we give our best to God? Or do we give our best to work and pleasure and a lot of other things and then fit in a little Jesus? Now, on the other hand, Shavuot is also a celebration of the day when Yahweh God gave the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments and Torah through Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, for the Jew, Torah, the law, is the way to life. We Christians tend to look down on it because of the writings of, of Paul and others. But this is, their, this is their blueprint for life. This is if you live this way, then you will be in covenant relationship with God. Following Torah means to follow the word of God. It establishes ethical and moral codes. It tells us how to live in relationship covenantly with God and with one another. And, and Torah is seen as a gift from God. God placed Torah at the heart of what it means to be Jewish. And Shavuot marks a moment when people intentionally come and recommit their lives to God based upon his law. They say once again, God, I'm willing to obedient. They, they would spend all night the night before in watch parties. And part of that would be reading the book of Ruth. They would study to prepare themselves because on that day they're going to raise up their hand again to God and say, yes, God, I'm all in. So in Acts, we see this scene. They're gathered together. Maybe they've been up all night. Maybe they're ready to raise their hand and say, yes, God, I'm all in again. And you see these people gathering in Jerusalem from all these places to recommit 
themselves to a relationship with God. And what God does in that moment is God places a new heart in the world. God places an ancient heart into the life of his people. God gives them a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. So just like through Jesus' death on the cross, God takes the Passover lamb and raises up Passover, just like through the resurrection, God takes the festival of first fruits to the next level. Now God is going to enhance the giving of Torah, law, life, through the, through the coming of his Holy Spirit. God is offering something that's never been offered before, his presence forever within us. So, so when they hear the sound of the violent wind, not some sweet little, no, this is a violent wind that stirs the room and shakes the place. And they see tongues of flame and it rests on them. They're all taken back to that mighty voice of God in fire on Mount Sinai. Look at it in Exodus 19. Mount Sinai is covered with smoke. This is, this is when they're receiving that Torah because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke builds up like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain is trembling violently as the sound of the trumpet goes louder and louder. Moses spoke. The voice of God answered him. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Everyone could hear it in their own language. Sound familiar? The Talmud says that every word proceeding from God's mouth divided into 70 languages. On the day of Pentecost in Acts, it plays out like this. All of them are filled with the Holy Spirit and they, they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enables them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Of course there were. And when they heard the sound, a crowd comes together in bewilderment because everyone hears their own language being spoken. They're utterly amazed and they ask, aren't all of these people who are speaking Gen Galileans? How is it that each one of us hears them in our native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues and they're amazed and they're perplexed and they're asking one another, what does all this mean? I've always kind of envisioned that scene as, you know, there's, there's the man from Parthia who's standing there and, and James is over here talking Parthian and, and, and then there's a man over here from Cappadocia and Mary Magdalene is talking his language and then there's a woman from Phrygia and she can hear John speaking Phrygian. But when Peter steps up to speak, it's only him. And yet, they hear him. They hear the prophecy from Joel. They hear him explain the, the empty tomb and the cross. And they, they hear him incorporate these, these words that, that David sung long ago. When David says, I saw the Lord always before me. 
Why? Because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And they could all hear Peter's voice in their own language. And when they heard it, they were cut to the heart. Their hearts were impacted with remorse and joy at the same time. Their hearts were physically changed. And the people cried out, what do we do? And Peter's reply opened the door for each one of them to be filled with the Holy Spirit that way. He does it this way. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Repent. Turn away from the things that are taking you away from God and turn towards God. Commit. Today's the day. Say, yes, I want to follow you. I want your spirit within me. Be baptized. Become part of community. Be forgiven. Receive the freedom and hope of God's very presence in our lives. There's one cool, cool restoration thing that happens that I've just got to share with you. It's, an, it's a beautiful final parallel with that scene from Mount Sinai. Here's how it looks in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 40. With many other words, he warned them. He is still Peter. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Remember those words. And those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to. I've always said my whole life, I would love to be somewhere where 3,000 people are being baptized at the same time. Come on, admit it. You would too. I mean, what does that even look like? 3,000 people being baptized at the same time. But I've always had this curiosity, why 3,000? Why not 3,500? Not 2,684? What's the significance of 3,000? And someone showed it to me in a beautiful way. If you go back to Exodus 32, Moses is up on the mountain receiving Torah, the gift of life. You remember what happened to the people down at the base? They got impatient. And they built an idol, a golden calf. And they offered sacrifices, and they ate and drank, and they got up to indulge in revelry. Revelry, not revelry. And when God saw this, he said to Moses in Exodus 32, Lord said to Moses, go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt, you hear that? He's not even calling him his people, your people, have become corrupt. And Peter says, save yourself from this corrupt generation. The repercussion for the golden calf is the death of a lot of people in the Israelite community that day. Guess how many? About 3,000. And in a moment of ultimate heart change restoration at Pentecost, the 3,000 are restored. The new heart is made real. The Holy Spirit enables. 
And it's, it's really no surprise at all that the next thing that we read in Scripture is about these people who are now all in, these people who have raised their hands, these people who have been filled with the Spirit are now coming together at church in and, and a passage that so many churches look at and would love to be like from, from Acts chapter 2. The believers are, are together and they have everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I started the wrong place. They devoted themselves to the apostles before that. They, they, they followed the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone is filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now all the believers are together. They have everything in common. They sold property. They, they took their possessions and they gave them to people who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. Every day in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And they praised God and they enjoyed the favor. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why do I say it's no surprise because the community was compelled they were alive they were filled they were living as they'd never lived before they were excited they were devoted they were filled with awe. they were filling their days with teachings about jesus and breaking bread and praying and and seeing signs and wonders all around them and caring for one another they had glad and sincere hearts they were praising god they were they were being favored and people were being saved left and right and brought into an everlasting relationship with god how more compelling could it get than that? That's the pathway of deeper discipleship. That's the way the church grows because the Spirit brings us into compelling community with one another. I hear at least one of you saying out there, you know, Chris, that's great for them, but it doesn't sound like any one of them had to have a job. And none of them are raising kids like I am. They just didn't face the same challenges that I faced. Don't fool yourself. They had the same pressures. Don't think, because I did for a long time, that I could just be overscheduled and, and work focused and fit a little Jesus in around the edges. God wants to invade that model with his Holy Spirit. And place himself right at the heart of your life. So that you and I can experience abundance in life. How can I promise to you that this is even possible? How can I stand here and say that life like that is real? I can say it because I've experienced it. I haven't just learned about it. I haven't just read about it being a part of someone else's life. I experience what it means to be a part of the ordinary and extraordinary, miraculous encounter with God's work here at Kingwood United Methodist Church. It's, it's been studies like experiencing God and, and Epic of Eden and, and the forgotten power of prayer. It's, it's been worship services and, and, and giving sermons and receiving word and being a part of, of liturgy and song. It's, it's been going to Emmaus and being a part of Cairo's prison ministries and going to confirmation retreats and, and going to staff meetings in UM Army. It's, it's mission trips to stand on the top of a mountain in Costa Rica and 
see what God is doing or go to Mexico and try to keep a generator running for the dentist. It's, it's going and, and standing there while we're drilling a water well in the Honduras with living water and, and crying out for God to remove the stones. It's standing on a rooftop in Haiti and feeling the breeze blow so strong. You know you're in a Pentecostal moment or praying over people as governments are crumbling. It's going to Tanzania and offering medical resources. It's God moving us into foster care and adoptive care with Fresh Start and Freedom Place. It's moments across Houston where you see the, move, the spirit moving. It's, it's being here to be a Katrina shelter and, and going in muck houses after Harvey and being a part of a building program and, and, it's, and, and Imelda and, and after Scott Dornbush passed away and being a part of a pandemic and delivering water bottles outside of the Super Bowl years ago. It's those ordinary visits that we have with one another that turn extraordinary because the spirit is right at the heart of it. It's when we go deep. It's when we choose God first. It's when we become committed to him like he's committed to us. I spent so many years not committed to God first. What's stopping us? What's holding us back? Why are we not compelled? What are we waiting for? My prayer, my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for Kingwood United Methodist Church is that God's Holy Spirit would fill this place and compel us to be together. Compel us to want more out of life. Unite us in Christ. Devote us to him. Seeking more of him and striving to be a part of his work. And having that be the driving force of our life. No matter what we do vocationally. No matter what we do outside these walls. My prayer is that you would find what it means to be all in every day, alive through the Holy Spirit. I don't think Pentecost is intended for one day of the year. What God wants to do in our lives through the Holy Spirit is what God wants to do every day of the year. And I would have loved to have been in that room <laughs> when the Spirit came in. I would have loved to have been in that room when Jesus gathered with those closest to him and broke bread. I would have loved to have been there when he took the bread and gave thanks to God and broke it. And the truth is, even though you and I may have not had a physical seat in that room, we are invited there once again today in the breaking of this bread. Jesus said to them and to us again today, this is my body, which is being offered to you. Take and eat and remember And after supper, he took the cup and he th gave thanks to God. 
And I believe that he slowly went around the room and looked every single person in the eye and said, drink. Drink all of you. This is my blood, my life being poured out for you to create an abundant, compelling life for you filled with forgiveness and hope and grace. Drink it and never forget. So God, today, our Pentecost, as we gather in this room, pour out your spirit on us gathered here. Pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and on these cups. Make them be for us your body and your blood. Make them be for us so compelling, so filled with your grace that we don't just celebrate symbolically something that happened a long time ago, but instead that your grace once again finds a means to be represented to us, that we in this room would get a true glimpse of what your heavenly banquet looks like, that through this meal you would draw us together, united in you, united with one another as church, as the people of Christ who are brought together to change the world, to be in ministry to all. Make us one with each other, one with you, and one in service as we feast at this portion of the heavenly banquet. God, help us to know you in this moment. Help us to be drawn to you. Fill our hearts to overflowing with your spirit and make it compelling, God so that we might follow you today and every day. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.